everybody. Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. This is our sixth episode. Um, we have Calvin Hartman with us this week. Happy to have him. Uh, we're going to have some great topics covered. Uh, but I was, you know, I, I keep forgetting something. Um, what is the best pole vaulting pole in the world? UCS Spirit! That's right. Thanks for reminding me, girls. Um, the UCS pole vaulting pole is the best. I mean, this past summer... On the men's and women's side, both gold and silver in the Olympics. Is that is that not enough? I mean, if it's good enough for them, it's definitely good enough for me. Like I said, also the most consistent brand. Uh, when you go up five pounds, it is truly five pounds. Doesn't matter if you bought that pole 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or today. It's going to fit into that line. Also, follow us on Instagram at The Real Apex Vaulting. You can also like us on Facebook and listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. This is our sixth episode. Um, we have Calvin Hartman with us this week. Happy to have him. Uh, we're going to have some great topics covered. Uh, but I was, you know, I, I keep forgetting something. Um, what is the best pole vaulting pole in the world? UCS Spirit! That's right. Thanks for reminding me, girls. Um, the UCS pole vaulting pole is the best. I mean, this past summer, on the men's and women's side, both gold and silver in the Olympics. Is that, is that not enough? I mean, if it's good enough for them, it's definitely good enough for me. Like I said, also the most consistent brand. Uh, when you go up five pounds, it is truly five pounds. Doesn't matter if you bought that pole 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or today. It's going to fit into that line. Also, follow us on Instagram at The Real Apex Vaulting. You can also like us on Facebook and listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Thanks, everybody. All right, Calvin. Uh, you're your senior at Ramapo College. Uh, lifetime best 15-9. Came into Ramapo, jumping 14. We have lots of stuff to talk about. We can talk about your journey. But I want to start out. We were just at the West Side Barbell Seminar in Freehold, New Jersey. Um, what, what did you take away from that seminar? Like, what, How did you feel? And, and just to clarify, like everybody listening – we're probably going to be talking about a lot about training today. A lot about training. Um, how did you feel about the Westside Barbell Seminar? Well, uh, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. And uh, it, was, it was definitely a blast going down there to, the, to listen to those guys talk. And they had a lot of information. And uh, it, was, it was neat to just be there and soak it all in. And uh, most of it, I mean, we had kind of read before and we had you know, kind of understood their training philosophy. But... It was nice to kind of be there in person and get to ask them any questions we had and right. you yeah. know, get a first-hand look at what they do. You know, it's one thing to read it, but it's different to go down there and experience it. Right, and they kind of went <clears throat> into their system. And then even just seeing them perform some of the lifts and some, some little nuances that you're not going to really get through a book or maybe not even see through a video because we definitely watched plenty of their videos. And, and just for people listening who maybe aren't familiar, uh, Westside Barbell is a powerlifting gym in Ohio coached by Louis Simmons, who has worked with athletes of all different sports, including track and field, and he's had a wide range of success. I mean, just crazy, crazy numbers that you'll hear from that gym. I mean, he's had so many thousand-pound squatters. Um, he's had people in the NFL, UFC, Olympic track and field athletes come and work with him, and they, they've had a tremendous amount of success. And I just feel like, especially in the pole vaulting world, not enough people really understand training. Um, one of the things that I took away from the seminar that I think is really, really big is having your training backed up by data. You know, I mean, can, can you maybe expand on that? What, what does that mean to you? When I say like, you know what, Calvin, you got to make sure you, you have your training backed up by data. What does that mean? Well, I mean, we, we have a I'll start out by saying our, our system is a little bit different than a lot of other training systems you'll see because we focus so much on the training. You know, a lot of our, the, you know, the bread and butter of what we do is lifting, you know. Um, we've kind of developed as athletes through lifting, and that's a really big part of our training, and a lot of other, you know, pole vaulters aren't doing that. And, um, I mean, that's been different 
from from what I've seen, but yeah, I mean, just think about last year. You know, we went to Akron, and you know, you and and some of the other Ramapo athletes and some of the other club athletes that were at Akron. I mean, you guys talked to people like Demi Payne, Sean Barber, you know, and we're kind of shocked to hear about kind of their training protocols. Right. Well, um, Emily, our our girl Emily, Emily Shipley is five five three. Yeah. 135 pounds mm-hmm. uh, has benched 185 pounds at that weight. Yeah, and squatted 350 pounds. 330, 330, 330. Yeah. yeah. Um. So she's she's an animal in the gym, and uh, so we we asked Demi Payne. You know, she went up to Demi Payne and was like, you know, what what do you do in the gym? What's your, you know, how much do you lift? What kind of stuff do you do? And um, and Demi Demi gave us an answer we weren't really expecting. She said, um, you know, we'll do. She said she does like high reps and she won't really, you know, go heavy in the lifts. And Emily was like, well, well, why do you do that? And she was like, well, you know, I don't really need to lift heavy. I don't really need to be that strong because I'm so long and I'm fast enough on the runway that, that I don't really need to lift to get to the mids and get to the marks on the runway to get me to those bigger bars. And she kind of looked at Emily and, you know, Emily's 5'3 and Demi Payne is, is gotta be almost six feet, right? She's real tall. Tall girl. And, uh, She's like, but but you, you know, you need to squat 350 to hit those numbers on the runway. We were all kind of scratching our heads, like, you know, how how can you say that and and not think to yourself, well, what happens if I squat 350 pounds? You know, where will my numbers be on the runway? If you're in in Demi Payne's head, you know, where right, right, like, what could Demi do if maybe exactly. she pushed some training numbers? And yeah, I mean, I think it gets kind of crazy. And going back to the West Side seminar, you know. Like, they, they talked about that. Like, they've had athletes come in who, let's say, are preparing for the NFL Combine, right? And these guys are obviously studs. They played Division One football. They're trying to get drafted. And they'll come in, and they mention these guys really have not been pushed through their collegiate careers because a lot of programs just don't want guys to get hurt. You know, just keep them healthy. Just keep them healthy. So they're afraid to train them. And they even brought up at the West Side Seminar, they're like, look, a lot of people are afraid of max effort training. So right. when I say that, and specifically about lifting, it's like, we're talking about singles. Like, what can you lift for one rep? And they said, sure, some people think that's dangerous. But if you're doing it the right way and you're progressing to that, it can be done very safely. And I feel like we do it very safely here. We're we're at least once a season hitting singles, you know. Um and they said that these NFL combine guys will come in. So they really, like, when you think about it, they have zero training years. Like, they stay in shape. They stay fit. Like, you'll see a lot of people, even, like, especially in the pole vault world, do a lot of body weight stuff. And, and we'll get to why that's important to go past body weight stuff. But they just basically go body weight. So zero training years. They're not pushing numbers. And they'll take that guy who's maybe squatting 400 when he first shows up at Westside Barbell and in 8 to 16 weeks, that guy will jump to 700 pounds. So when you, when you think about how athletic some of these people are, like, I can't imagine, that, like, you know, someone like Demi Payne, if she's not lifting right now, seriously, what would she do in a matter of weeks? What would happen to her numbers? And then when we talk about data, right, look, people always talk about where are you taking off from. Obviously, the further you can take off from, the higher you can possibly jump, right? Um, actually, let me walk away one second. I'm going to grab the mid-chart. Are you going to edit this part out, Billy? You know, I might. Uh, I might I might leave it in. Now that you asked that, I might just leave it in because people Not asking so. to edit things out is funny. Yeah, Billy? I might just put in, like, generic, like, elevator music. That'd be funny. Just... I'm back. Okay, so I have DJ's mid-chart here, right? So especially when you're going to talk data, I just don't want to say, you know, incorrect numbers. So if we look at, like, DJ's mid-chart, right, he has all kinds of information. And for those people that don't know, okay, David F. John, uh, Johnston, he coached uh, DJ. He coached uh, Mike Tully to the 1980 Olympics, great American vaulter, wonderful technique, and he developed this awesome mid-chart. Now, I'm not saying you should follow it religiously. Like, for example, he says, for 11-1 grip, your mid should be 37. I'm not saying that you have to make sure that your girl hits a 37 mid mark. And that means that she has three lefts to the box, right? But it's a general guideline. He also has takeoff marks. So let's say, for example, a 10-foot takeoff, according to DJ's chart, you're going to jump 12-10. 
Can you beat the chart? Absolutely. But by how much? Right? Margins. We're talking about margins. So let's say you want to work up to a 12-foot takeoff. That's going to get you 14.7, according to DJ's mid-chart. Well, how are you going to get from a 10-foot takeoff to a 12-foot takeoff? You can't just pole vault. No, I mean, you need to get faster. And the way you get faster is by increasing your stride length through weightlifting. I mean, that's, that's what we do. And, I mean, there, there really is two ways to get faster, right? You can move your arms and legs faster, which we can accomplish through running mechanics and, you know, working on sure just running drills and making sure that that's fluid. But that right, only that goes the pole so far. The pole carry is proper. The plan right. is proper. Sure, there's technical stuff that needs to be done. And a lot of times, look, you know, because you've coached at the club a little bit, sometimes a kid comes in that's physically way above what their PR is. You know, like we have a kid that just came in the last couple of weeks. We both worked with him, and he, his PR is 13, but we can both tell that physically he's probably a 14, 15-foot guy. So we might not need to focus so much on physical training with him. We might need to focus on technique. But at the end of the day, and this is where I'm getting, and and especially when we look at, you know, what's going on in pole vault in America, when you look at the upper echelon people, it's like, well, if you keep hitting that same takeoff, and, and let's say mid-marks, right? Those of you who don't take mid-marks, please, please take mid-marks. Because if you're just getting the takeoff, how, how do you know that person's not overstriding to get to that takeoff? How do you know they're not chopping it down too much? The mid-mark is a simple thing. You don't even have to tell the athlete. Just put that mark on the side of the runway and just catch it. It'll help you see the run better. I can't, I'm a huge advocate of it. And Lane Lore, the coach from Wash U, who was an Olympic trials athlete, uh, three-time runner-up in NCAA Division I national championships, he told me, he's like, Bronco, I never had anybody catch my takeoff. All I cared about was my mid. <laughs> you know, so there's plenty of people that can explain the mid-mark and advocate for it. You should be catching mid-mark. The other thing is it's another data point. Right. If your kid is hitting a 45 mid and now all of a sudden they start hitting 43, something's wrong. They're slowing down. You know, just like if they used to hit a 10 foot takeoff and now they're starting to hit nine, six, nine, something's wrong. Right. So that data starts to become important. And like you said, now, once we've gotten past running drills, planting drills, carry drills, pole runs, like the kid knows what they're doing. There's only, there really is only other, one other way to get faster, and that's increase your stride length. Right. And the way to do that is you have to apply more force to the ground. And how do you do that? Through weightlifting. You have to squat more. You have to push those numbers in the weight room. Right. And, and something that I think is huge, and I think a lot of people don't understand too, because you, know, you always hear pole vaulters say, well, I want to keep my body weight down, which is 100% I understand. You want to get stronger? And keep your body weight low. You want your power to weight ratio as high as possible. Right, right. We're not advocating everybody go out and you know get huge. That's right, right, right. The goal. But then, what do you hear that same kid tell you? It's like, oh, dude, I don't want to put on too much weight. You know, I just I want to keep my weight low. So I'm going to do high reps and low weight. Oh man, that's what? a big myth in the in the fitness industry. Or, right, know, the, right. The I just, I just want to tone, so I'm going to do high reps, low weight. And, wh and what happens when you do that, Calvin? Well, that's what's known as hypertrophy and that you're going to swell under that, actually, if you're doing enough weight. I mean, if you're, if you're using, like, real lightweight, you're just not going to do anything. It's not right. beneficial in the slightest. Right. But if you're using even, you know, you get over that tipping point and you're using enough to actually put right. on Right, something muscle. that's, like, maybe 60% of what you'd be capable of for a one-rep max. Exactly. Yeah, you're going to start to put on size. It just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And the only way, and, you know, I don't think enough people understand this, the only way you can start to build that fast-twitch muscle fiber that you need to be explosive and develop that stri stride length is with weights that are 90% plus of your one rep max. Exactly. And that's the whole mantra at Westside. You know, they train at 90% or above almost all year round. And right. that's what they advocate. You know, you have to, that's why they, they talk about the singles, right? You have to hit 90% or above if you want to activate that fast twitch muscle fiber. Right, right. And so again, and then what I, you know, and what I like, because I'm a big data guy too, you know, you, you need you need data to, to back up what your athletes are doing. And let's say, for example, you know, you're hitting a 51 mid. And all of a sudden you start hitting 49. 
what do you think is the first thing I'm going to ask you? <laughs> Are you tired that day? You know, have you have you lost weight? What's going on in the weight room? You know, right. Like, Are you still there's, squatting where you normally squat? You know, um, I mean, like for example, like what's what's your best single leg squat? My best single leg squat was 315 for five reps. 315 for five reps. And just so everybody understands, when we say single leg squat, we're talking about like a split squat where his foot is behind him. He's got a bar on his back. Um, and once we have that number, and you know, we've talked about this all the time, we have that, that, that number and we know, okay, you need to be at that number or better to hit that mid that you've been hitting. Exactly. You know, obviously we can increase technique and squeeze out a little bit more there. Technique is always the fastest way to get somebody a little bit faster. But look, you're a senior. I've been coaching over four years now. The technique is the technique. We better push those numbers, you know? Well, I think what a lot of people don't understand too is it's like it, it's not the same if I squat 315 for five reps in single leg and someone else does, right? There's a lot of people that come through and I'm sure, you know, you've worked with some right. of these people who, who naturally can hit those numbers. Like we talk about a 51 mid or, you know, if they right. can naturally hit a 52 or 53 mid without ever being in the weight room. Right. And that's crazy. But the thing is, I can't, I need to hit that number in the weight room and I right. know that. Right. Right, because there was something even interesting. I remember um, two years ago, one of my athletes asked Sam Kendricks about lifting. And he was like, oh, you know, like I have a scoliosis issue and this and that. But then he backed it up with, if you ask me to squat 400, I can. Exactly. So, you know, that's the thing. So he's naturally capable of some of these numbers. And that's why he runs as fast as he does. But again, how do you then produce bigger numbers? How do you get that mid further out? How do you get on that bigger pole? How do you grip higher? And, you know, the, the takeaway that, you know, I felt like I got at the West Side seminar was, again, backing up your training with data, you know, and knowing that you have to push those numbers. You know, like we have at the club, you know, Lily Brown, who's in the zero episode, you know, this past summer, she gripped 11 on a 12 foot 110 and jumped 11. She had eight inch push, you know. Well, we, we both know she's like, all right, well, and that's, she knew she did that without being able to squat 200 pounds. Well, this fall is going great. She already did 205 for six. What is going to happen this indoor season? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. She's going to PR. Like we know all her lifting numbers are better. She's technically getting better. She's getting on bigger poles. We know what's going to happen this, this winter, you know, and that, that's what I think people really mess up with because I think a lot of pole vaulters, especially if we talk high school and college level, and I'm sure you, you've seen this, they kind of jump their way into shape as the season goes. Right, right. They hit, you know, maybe it's a big PR year, but once they hit that big PR year, the next year you see them come to the first meet and you're like, wow, this person looks a lot slower because they didn't do anything all summer. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they jumped a little bit, but no training. And some of them never get back to that PR. You know, I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast right now that they're like, oh my God, that's what happened to me. Huge year, PR'd, and couldn't match my PR the next year. Or it took me to the end of the year to match it again. Right. And but that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. You can always get stronger and faster. You can always get stronger and faster. Well, one of my favorite videos um, that's, you know, floating around on YouTube is an interview with Brad Walker by uh, Walter Magazine, and they mm -hmm. sat down with him and they're like, what's the one thing, you know, you would have changed if you could go back? And he's like, I would have jumped less. You know, right. he, he really, he's like, I would have stopped going to meets every single weekend. And I would start training, you know, at an earlier age, I would get in the weight room and you have to push those numbers. And I think that's, that falls on deaf ears a lot of times, you know, like he, he really has a point. Not everybody can hit natural numbers on the runway Right. To, to hit certain bars, right? Like that mid chart, you know, if you can't hit those, those numbers on the runway, right. you don't have a shot at clearing that bar, you know, it doesn't matter how good your technique is. Right. So, so he has a point, you know, if you're, you can't naturally hit those numbers, you, you need to hit the weights well, and you need to get stronger. Well, it, it's funny too, like just looking at the mid chart. So last year, you might have even gotten back to 52. You look at DJ's chart, look at this 51 mid, you jump 15 2. 52 mid, you jump 15 6, and you jumped 15 9 last year. Right. So, and again, you could beat the chart. I'm not saying you can't beat the chart. You know, I've seen crazy stuff. I mean, 
Uh, Zach Frara from SUNY Brockport, who was a Division Three national champion, jumped 16-8. That day I watched. When he jumped 16-8, he hit a 48 mid, which according to the chart is supposed to be a 14-4 jump. So, I mean, but there's, there's always outliers. But, exactly. you know, you look at that chart, things kind of kind of fall into play there. And, and the whole idea, though, is now it's like, all right, how do we get your 52 mid out to a 54? You know, because if you can hit 54, we're going 16-1 at least, right? So it's like you have to train. You have to push those training numbers. And I, I would just like to see people just train on a more serious level. Like, and you bring up Brad Walker, oh my goodness. That one year, and I forget what year it was, but he jumped 19 at Reno. And I was there. I got the opportunity to watch him. And it was so funny because I'm like watching that runway warm up. And that was the weekend that, that Craig Van Leeuwen, he's a former Division Three national champion as well. He ended up PRing. It was his first post-collegiate year. And he jumped 17, eight and a half. He ended up being tied for like third best that weekend in Reno. And I'm watching, you know, the elite pit warm up and guys are jumping. And I'm like, this is kind of all Craig speed. You know, they look like they have the same speed as Craig. Then all of a sudden, Mark Hollis runs down. I'm like, all right, that's a little quicker. A little bit faster. A little, little bit faster, right? And then Brad Walker runs down. I'm like, oh, my God, here's the Ferrari. I'm like, this guy, he, he looks like he needs his own pit. And he cleared 19, like, huge jump that night. And then you look at his quads. Oh, my they God. They were huge. Yeah, man. I'm like, Ridiculous. is he is he stuffing his spandex? Like, what the heck is in the, those quads, man? Like and, he got turkeys. In yeah, them. yeah. So, I mean, it's just – you could see it. You know, that guy was training hard and he was hitting good numbers. And, you know, if you take that training away, you're going to lose those numbers. You know, I, I've seen it here at our gym. You know, I'm sure you've seen athletes over the years that hit certain lifting numbers. Definitely. You know, I, I mean, I've seen people who like, you know, maybe at body weights of like 125 pounds, single leg squatted 200, jumping way over 13. Then all of a sudden they can't hit that number. Uh-oh. Yeah, that mid goes away, and they can't hit 13 anymore. The mid moves in, and they don't know. What, they start running through a lot of times. Right, because they, they're still trying to hold on to that grip or pull that they had when they could accomplish those physical feats, and they're not capable of that anymore. Right. You know, I, I've seen countless athletes do that, and they, they can't seem to wrap their heads around it. I think now I do a better job of kind of explaining the process to people so they get it more. You know, yeah. people, people know. It's like, oh, if I'm not hitting that number, I'm not – in training that I'm not going to hit that mid. And if I don't hit that mid, I'm not going to be on that pole. And if I'm not on that pole, I'm not going to jump that bar. So people are starting to connect the dots. Well, you always bring up that, uh, um, Lance Armstrong used to say, you know, he, he would have to hit a certain, um, number in his workout and he knew he was ready for the tour de France. Right. He could hit that number. Right. Right. And I mean, that's true. You know, like if I can't hit a certain number in, in the weight room, like, we're in trouble for the season, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and that's something that unfortunately, like, you know, me and you understand that process, you know, and we know, you know, if, if somebody else, I mean, you, you're such a hard worker. I don't really worry about you too much. Um, but there's some, but there's some other people that we know, like going into the year, we're like, uh Oh, those numbers are way off. And if those numbers are way up, like me and you already know, it's like I've actually been on the phone with athletes. I remember one time in particular being on the phone with an athlete. I was like, listen, I'm just telling you right now, you're not hitting the mids. You're not gripping what you used to grip. You're not on the pole that you're on. If you listen to everything I tell you starting today, and I had this phone conversation beginning of November of that year, I said, you will tie your PR by May. The last week of April, that girl tied her PR. Crazy. And I, I even hate to be right sometimes about that kind of stuff. But it was just, I knew it from a training perspective. She wasn't hitting her weights. She wasn't able to hit, hit the marks on the runway. And she wasn't able to hit, hit the grips and pulls that she needed to, to. And it's just simple. It's just simple. Once you have that data, that's it. It's over. You, you know, you know. Um, and going back to the West Side seminar, uh, you know, the, the thing that I like was they talked about that. It's like, look, whether it's the coach or the athletes, and I prefer to make the athletes responsible, you need to take notes. You need to know what you lifted every session. You need to know what your sprint workouts are going like. You need to know what your practice sessions are. You know here at the club, I have binders. You can go back and look three years ago what you gripped from a three in fall training. 
Yeah. You can look at exactly. that, you know, but I think also the athlete needs to be more responsible with that. You need to know your numbers because you can know then in a particular practice, like, whoa, am I getting better or worse today? And that's really important. That That's the crazy thing. You got you to kind of like chase the carrot. You know what I mean? You always have to be trying to get better. Well, that's all about buying in. You know, if the athlete buys in and they really want to get better, I mean, that's something that's something a lot of kids will think about on their own. They're like, you know, I'm going to start writing down my numbers. I want to see where I am in a couple months. You know, I want to see if I improve. And you know, definitely that's, that's so important. Yeah. And, and I definitely think the atmosphere here and the culture that we've built, you kind of see people get bit by the bug, Yeah, you know, and all of a sudden then they're chasing training. Sometimes I even have to back people off of training because they're training so hard and they kind of like got to focus on pole (laughs) again. But, um, but you definitely see that happen and and it's just like a big snowball effect, but it's a positive one, you know, because everybody's training hard. Everybody's working together. Um, do you remember your freshman year? What was like I the, the aha moment for you? You you were really impressed with yourself on a certain oh, lift, man. and what happened to you? This is a little embarrassing, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll share this story. So we had a girl on the team, Britt Delcase. Yeah, and uh, she she was real strong. You know, she could she could single leg squat some crazy weight. And uh, I came into fr- I came into my freshman year weighing about 150 pounds, and I was same height I am now, about six one, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I mean, I just really had to hit the weights hard and start training. So uh, we started those single leg squats, and I was doing like 95 pounds, you know, 100 pounds, 105 pounds. And yeah. I'm thinking it's going well. You know, I'm in the Ramapo gym. Nobody else is single leg squatting. I'm, right. I'm thinking I'm doing well. You yeah, know, yeah, I'm yeah. killing it. Yeah. Kids are looking at me, and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm the man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I really wouldn't train with Britt Delcase too much because she had stuff going on and we would just right. she was commuting she, right. would, she would train off campus a lot yep. we just had different training schedules but uh i remember bumping into her i mean we started training in october and i probably bumped into her like right about thanksgiving and uh she's like you know how's your training going calvin i'm like oh you know it's going real well just single leg squatted like 125 and she like kind of snorted and laughed and i'm like is there something i'm missing like what did you single leg squat and she's like i just did 220 i'm like <laughs> You gotta be kidding me. There's no way. She's like, Yeah, dude, you gotta get on it. I'm like, dang. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, because I and and you know, going back to her junior year, she had transferred from SUNY Oswego. And, you know, again, a lot of body weight stuff, a lot of circuit training, but not a lot of max effort stuff. And when she came, I mean, oh my God, she was pushing the numbers like crazy. Like she even like and this is a girl with like noodle arms. Upper body's horrible. She's like very leg dominant, you know. She ended up benching 135. You know, she she got so jacked up. I had coaches coming up to me at ECACs who were from the SUNY Oswego area. They're like, dude, what did you do to her? She looks completely different. Feeding her small children. Yeah. Like, she was a monster. Yeah. And, I mean, her PR went from 11.8 to 12.4 and three quarters. She qualified for Division three Nationals for the first time in her life. You know, she had a really good junior year. Um, but the, the training was the huge part. The training was the huge part. And, you you know, obviously technique helps. But if she didn't get that strong, that fast, oh, it, it would not have been the same. It just w- would not have been the same. And her mid moved back considerably in the time that you, oh, know, you were coaching dramatically. Her. Dramatically. I even – that year I was catching a lot of her, like, meters per second. She started out the year running 7.3 meters per second at takeoff. I, I, I used Peter McGinnis's uh, – Dr. Peter McGinnis's um, – chart or method it's biomechanics on a budget so you count frames on on the the camera and she started out running 7.3 meters per second in the beginning of the year and she ended at eight eight 8.0 meters per second you know so a dramatic improvement in speed i mean she just still had a lot of pole vault to learn too you know um right but there's your data right there right i mean exactly what more do you need to hear like that's yeah that's a huge improvement huge improvement crazy. um and for people who don't understand meters per second, you know, think about it like this. A meter is roughly three feet. So every second, how many meters are you covering? So she went from 7.3 to 8.0. I mean, you're almost talking about three three additional feet every second is covered when she's running down the runway. That's huge. I mean, if you don't think that's going to get your grip up, if you don't think that's going to get your poles up, you're crazy. And if you don't think that's going to move your mid back, come on. She was hauling. Um, but yeah, and, and I guess another point from the West Side Barbell Seminar that I wanted to talk to you, because going back to this, like, body weight, circuit training, stuff like that, they also brought up Olympic lifts. What did they say about Olympic lifts, Cal? Well, that's funny you mentioned that, because the 
you know, a lot of people love Olympic lifts. They think it develops fast twitch muscle fiber, but something the West Side guys mentioned, and it's something we'd read, but read about before, but they really don't advocate, um, Olympic lifts at all. They, they say it doesn't develop fast twitch muscle fiber. And their, their thinking is that it's too much weight on the bar to be, to develop fast twitch, right? right. It's not, it's, it's, um, it's not fast enough, right? It's not fast enough to be fast, to develop that fast speed. Right. And it's not enough weight to develop strength or power because you need 90% or above. So it's kind of this middle ground that doesn't, doesn't really do anything for you. Right. Right. And, and the thing is, you know, for those of you who maybe haven't heard or, or, or seen some of the West Side stuff, you know, the best way to hear it explained, like Louis Simmons talks about how, okay, what's the most explosive thing that a person can do? Jump. Jump off the ground. That is the most explosive thing you can do. Well, an Olympic lift is not going to be as explosive as that. And right. like, as, you, soon, as soon as you start adding weight, it becomes less and less explosive. Right. And then again, like you said, it's not enough weight to promote strength development, power development. Um, you're not going to hit those fast twitch muscle fibers. And, you know, we, we've seen plenty of pole vultures post Instagram videos or YouTube videos, you know, and, and they'll even like write stuff like where it's like, oh, like, you know, I can't really be vaulting right now. I have this nagging injury. But they're doing power cleans. To me, it's like, why are you just not squatting? Right. I, I, it's, I, I just... And I'm not saying that to be mean. And I know, you know, maybe some people are going to listen to this podcast and be like, what does he know? And the, the argument that I would make, and, you know, I've had straight beginners come to my club, straight beginners. And I've, I've seen huge development in a lot of athletes. I think just the thing being in the Northeast, the athletes that have come through the doors, you know, yeah, Craig Van Leeuwen, he's a stud. You know, he jumped 17, 8. You know, and Craig's, Craig's actually right now training his butt off. Uh, we just posted an Instagram video uh, of him, you know, jumping from a three, wrapping 17. You know, he almost, uh, he cleared 15 from a three as well, one practice session. I didn't get a video of that. But, you know, he's training his butt off and really working hard. I'm excited to see what he does indoors. But, I mean, I haven't had a lot of guys like that come through through the door. You know, and I don't know how many of those guys are around the country anyway. You and know, he, he's one of those guys who can naturally hit, you know, a 50, yeah. was it 54 mid. Yeah, he was naturally hitting like a 54, 55 mid when he wasn't lifting. Cause that's right. the thing. Like a lot of people don't understand that when he jumped 17 for the first time, I mean, no lifting, no lifting. You know what I mean? This guy was just Nothing. naturally there. It was just all technical stuff that we worked on. And, you know, so I mean, I get it. You know, some people are going to maybe want to listen to this podcast and be like, I don't know what this guy is talking about, you know, whatever. But I'm just telling you, when, when you've worked with straight beginners, and I have had a little bit of experience with Craig, and I've had Michelle Favre who jumped 13, 9, and 3 quarters, and I'm telling you, the training was huge. She jumped 8, 6 when I first met her as a high school sophomore, jumped 12, 1 right, in high school. She wasn't a stud. She wasn't right. a Craig Van Leeuwen. No, She's no, no. In, She's 5'5", 125 pounds, and man, she was one of those girls. She was 5'5", 125 pounds. She was able to single leg squat over 200 pounds, and she's hitting like a 48 mid and jumping on a 13.755, gripping 13 to jump 13.93 quarters. That's that's not an everyday occurrence, and that was highly a training thing. You know, like Craig, Craig could like roll out of bed, jump 16 like right now probably. If I just woke him up, I was like, here's a pole. <laughs> Let's go wake him up. <laughs> yeah. But on, but Michelle was not one of those type of athletes. Like she was not gonna hit those numbers unless she trained her butt off. And I just you know when I see you know pole vaulters like you know spending a lot of time doing body weight stuff, circuits, some Olympic lists. Like I just think there's better things to be doing with your time. You know, um, and and going off that West Side stuff, you know, you you see it. You know what I mean? Like you see the difference when people push those squat numbers. You know, they push those. How about pull-up numbers? I mean, good gracious. What what do you do pull-up-wise? Because we got weight belts, so they'll attach weight when, when you guys do pull-ups. What do you do? Right. Uh, I, I mean, What's I, your best ever? I think my best is like 110 pounds or something. For how many reps? Like two or three reps, something like yeah. that. Maybe mm-hmm. four. I don't Yeah. But I'm I mean, not sure off the top of but my head. But if, if that's not something that's beneficial to pole vaulting, I don't know what is. I mean, you're definitely creating huge jacked up lats. And, and let's, let's talk about something that's like pole vault related, high bar exercises, right? And this is a perfect example. 
So you can, you know, you can do something like a bupka on a high bar and eventually do pullovers and pullovers are where you swing yourself upside down over the bar and you wrap around the bar. Again, we, we, have, videos, a video we have videos of that on Instagram. So, you know, you know, people can do pullovers, but at a certain point doing pullovers is not going to make your pullover better. You're going to get to a point where it's like, all right, you've gotten as much strength as you can by doing pullovers. It's, it's the law of or, accommodation. Right. And, and you, and you've gotten as strong as you can doing body weight pull-ups. You what, need to add resistance. Yeah. What got your pullovers better? Because I remember you going back to freshman year when you were, you know, six one one fifty. You would do pullovers. I'm like Calvin. That's that's too slow. Calvin's got to be faster. Calvin be more explosive. And it sounds counterproductive, but now I'm I'm 185 pounds and they're so much faster. Right. So much better. Right. And that's people would think, you know, oh my god, he gained that weight. How is it better? But it's it's muscle, and I'm stronger. Right. And I have a I have a more strength to weight ratio, even though I weigh more. Right, my because now are way you, better. Yeah, now. you went from body weight pull ups to doing pull ups with 110 pounds. Obviously, your power to weight ratio has gone up tremendously. Exactly. I mean, you do have to put on some muscle to get stronger. I think, and I think a lot of kids are so underdeveloped that they're going to put on a little bit of body weight, but the power to weight ratio is going to go through the roof. Well, that's you know? that's where diet becomes important too. I mean, you just need to be in control of that. And, Really not be eating pizza every night, and you're going to oh be all goodness. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny you bring up diet, you know. Diet is definitely important, you know. Uh, and look, I'm I'm not going to tell people what to eat or anything like that. But I would definitely say, like, protein is important. Make sure you get enough protein. I think a lot of people don't understand how important saturated fats are for for, you know, your brain functioning, central nervous system, yeah, your hormones. Yeah. All that stuff. You need saturated fats. And yeah, you know, pizza is probably not the best option. You probably want to stay away from too many carbs and sugars. And I think that's what people don't realize. Like you eat that like half a pizza pie. Yeah. You got a lot of calories. You got a lot of carbs, but not, not not enough protein, not enough saturated fats. Yeah. Like, you know, you just, you're not getting enough of what you need and that's going to make it hard to recover too. Talk about recovery. You know what I mean? Like you, your diet becomes right. important. And I remember one time I was talking to another club coach and he's like, oh, their girl went off to college. And he's like, oh, they put her on that weight program. She put on 30 pounds oh, in a month. Yeah, I'm sure it's all the weight program. Right? I'm like, dude, I, you can't naturally – I don't even think unnaturally you can put on 30 pounds just through lifting. I've tried. Dude. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I remember there was a point. It was like Calvin's either eating, lifting, or in the bathroom. That was like the rotation all day long. It used to be. That's still yeah. me. But, um, but I told the coach, I was like, come on, that's silly. Like this girl did not put on 30 pounds of muscle no, in one month. Absolutely not. And I go, there was probably some diet-related issues there. And that's why also her jumping suffered because now she lost power-to-weight ratio. You can't blame it on the lifting. But I think so many pole people are against lifting and they don't understand the huge benefit it makes. I mean, you think about that. You do those weighted pull-ups and now your pullovers, you're no-touching the bar. You're whipping around so much faster. Well, that's going to help you off the ground. Now your, your squat or single-leg squat number shoots up. That's going to help you on the runway. You're going to get better numbers. You're right. going to get better numbers. And I just, I urge everybody who's listening to this, please track your training. Understand the, the data. And I feel like even, you know what? A lot of people do way too much cardio. Oh, yeah. Way too much cardio. Like, I don't care. Keep the, keep the body fat down. Right. But it's like, dude, like, you're not running a marathon. You're a pole vaulter. No, it's your not event applicable lasts to seconds. our training. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's why they need to understand, you know, the types of training that are applicable, you know. And that's why it was amazing, again, to be at that Westside Barbell Seminar just to talk to people who've worked with so many different athletes. And, and that's the thing, too, that, you know, I, I've talked about with people and I've talked about with Mike Lorick, who's on the podcast, is, you know, in a situation like, you know, our club, it's, it's unique. You know, I don't know how many other clubs are seeing about 100 athletes a season. You know, think about the thousands of kids that I've worked with and the experience I have with them and how to get them faster, stronger, and better at pole vaulting. I think a lot of pole vault coaches and a lot of pole vault situations deal with kids who are coming in with some natural ability already, and they're just showing them a couple things, putting them on the right pole, and they're like, wow, look at that, this kid PR'd. Um, yeah, but did you do everything you could have to gotten that kid better? Like, I don't know. 
And how often do we see, like, even these high school phenoms, you know, they'll hit an amazing number in high school. Go to college, don't hit that number again. Right, right. You know, and, you know, and hopefully, you know, we still get Sandy Morris on the podcast. We're, we're supposed to be getting her. Um, but I thought that she's a perfect example of somebody who definitely does have a, a, a good understanding of, of her training because you could see she initially went to another school. It wasn't really working out. And then she went to Arkansas because she knew Brian Compton down there in Arkansas. He has a system. He has a method. I'm sure it's data-based. And those girls get better, you know. So it, it's just amazing to see that. And now, you know, maybe not so much about lifting, you know, because I, th- I think we've talked about that a lot. What do you think about, like, your, your runway approach? When, when should I do a full approach? Well, we kind of relate. Um, I don't want to give up on the, the powerlifting analogies just yet. But, yeah. But in a powerlifting uh, training cycle, they'll do they'll do a lot of volume, which for them means high reps. So everybody right. out there who, who doesn't know what hypertrophy means, that means high reps. So they'll do maybe 10 reps, you know, very far out from the meat. And then as they get closer to the meat, they'll do what's more applicable to their um, event, or, event or, which is yeah. doing one repetition of the bench press, squat, and deadlift. And as they get closer to the meat, they'll do, you know, less and less reps until a couple weeks out from the meat, they'll do their one rep to prepare. Right, right. So in the pole vault world for us, you know, the most intense thing we can do is so, our long run. Right, right. And so lifting wise even, we're doing the same thing. We're starting out with high reps in early season and we work our way down to those low reps right. and so high we can intensity. Peak. Yeah, so we can peak. Same thing on the runway, right? What do you, what exactly. do you think? How, how would you explain how to set that up on the runway? Well, first and foremost, it's, it's really hard when we're doing, you know, 10 reps plus when we're, when we're in that hypertrophy phase to try to do a long approach. It's just not going to work. It's too much volume and your, your body's going to break down if you're trying to do a nine left approach while you're trying to lift, you know, 10 reps plus. Yeah. Yeah. So that's real hard. Exactly. And you can't, if, if you're, training method is good and your nine left approach is truly intense um you can't really do that all year round you know right you're gonna end up breaking down you're gonna end up getting hurt or i mean that's the worst case scenario best case scenario you're just not accomplishing much your your nine left approaches are kind of the same all year round and then you go to the meet and it's slightly better but right. but our training program will will do you know maybe threes while we're doing that that hypertrophy phase of training. And then as we get closer to the meet, we'll start moving the run back. And I mean, we, we don't spend very long at long approaches before meet season. You know, we'll maybe do like three or four, you know, sessions, long run yeah. sessions. And then that's it. The go to the meet. We're ready. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what I think people don't realize too, it's like how many long approaches can you possibly do in a practice session? And are you going to fix technique from a seven, eight, nine left approach? No, it's too intense. And that's, that's kind of the point. Like when you're doing a one repetition, you know, in the bench press, you're not going to be fixing technique there. You're, you're going all out. You're trying to make it work. Right. And the same thing with a long approach in the pole vault, you're, you don't have time to worry about, Oh, is my plant going to be laid? Is, you know, can I jump up? That stuff should have been fixed already with small approach stuff. You know, you can take a lot of jumps in a session from a three left approach, but as soon as you go back to that nine, you're limited. You know, you're lucky if you have like seven or eight, maybe 10 jumps in a session, and then that's, that's really it. You got to call it. Right. And, and, and here's the thing too. I think if you're, you know, one of those groups that like, uh, we're always hitting our long run every week, we're hitting our long run, no matter where we are. In the year, no matter where we are in training, we're always hitting our long run. At some point, that long run, I, I always use this term, becomes cosmetic. You know what I mean? Like, let's say, you know, we'll use you as an example. You can, you're capable of a 50 to 52 mid. Hopefully this year we get it back to 54. If we're doing that all year round, I guarantee half the time you're going to probably be hitting a 48 mid and kind of like jogging out. And then sprinting in at the end. Right. It's not truly intense. We're not right. pushing the numbers right. and then, know, on the runway. And then to me, it's like, why even do it at that point? It's You're, pointless. Yeah. And, and think about it. It's going to mess up your rhythm, right, for the long run because yeah, you're exactly. going to get used to just kind of coasting down the runway. 
It's like easy way to back off the intensity is to do a shorter approach. You can do plenty of ones, twos, threes, fours, even back to a five. Depending on the guy, like someone like you, we could probably get away with doing fives almost all year round because it's not super, super intense. And even with you, I do back you off of them. Exactly. But, you know, people don't understand. That's, that's where you really build the technique. I mean, and then going off of that, you know, what about proficiency? What about proficiency? What is a proficient vaulter and what gives you the right to go back to that seven, eight, nine left vault? You know what I mean? So now we've talked about it on the scale of like training, you know, where do you fit in the long approaches? And hopefully everybody's getting the message through this conversation. You need to be doing that as close to when you need to peak. I mean, how often we'll start the season, you know, we used to go to December meets this year. We won't be, but we used to go to a December meet. We would go from a five or six. Right, we would not be back at our long approach. Right, because December is just too early. I mean, nationals for Division Three, ECACs for Division Three are like, you know, end of February, mid March. You know, so it's like if you do that in December, are you gonna are you gonna last all the way? No, you'll burn out. Yeah, um, and so we we might not we might wait till like mid January to go to the full approach. And the thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is once we even hit that season. You know, the way we do it, you're doing drills during the week once we're having a meet every week, and you go to yeah. the meet, and that's your full approach session. You feel real lazy during the season, kind of. I mean, we'll, we'll like, lift once a week, jump once a week, and then the rest of the week we're, like, resting, you know. Right. He's in the barn recu- at that point. You know, you right. worked real hard the rest of the year. Right. Like, that's what people don't, you know, summer is hard. Fall is real hard. You're in there lifting a lot, you know, running a lot, right. you know, putting in the technique work. You're not really getting the fun stuff. The fun stuff is the season, you know. We'll, right, right. We'll, like Saturday is the day, you know, you go out, you jump. And you should feel fresh. Exactly. And, and you could see it throughout the season. We continually get better, get on bigger poles, continually grip up, continually hit a little bit higher mark. And you can see the progression, you know. I, I mean, it's just, to me, it's crazy because I've been on the other end. Like I was talking this morning um, one of the practice groups and I said you know in the old days I used to do like let's say a Monday Wednesday Friday schedule Monday would be our small day we do ones twos and threes maybe just take off Wednesday we do ones twos and threes fulls full jumps maybe go to a five Friday big day we go back to our full approach and the thing that I always felt was like that first meet of the year was great we would open the season with a bang but then we were dragging by the end of indoors. You know, we, because it's championship, like conference, ECACs, we kind of get through that. And then outdoors would be really hard. And I realized that I needed to do something different with the training protocols. You know, one, going from indoor to outdoor. And two, periodizing the jumping. Like, I don't need people to PR the first meet necessarily. I need them right. to be hitting their big marks by the end of the year. And... Since I've made those changes, we've seen even bigger PRs, bigger results, you know? I mean, we kind of go into the season expecting that first meet to be kind of rough. Second meet even is not great. Third meet, you're starting to get your bearings. Fourth meet is a little bit better. Yeah. And, you know, you just build and build and build. And I'm always on my biggest poles from, you know, at the last meet of the season or, you know, yeah, the last yeah. couple meets. I'm peaked, you know, and that's when I'll get on my big poles that I've, I haven't been on all season. and. Right. You know, you're not scared. You're and you're ready for that. How many times have have you experienced or seen teammates PR at conference? Almost all the time. Yeah, you oh, know? conferences are big big yeah, deal. Yeah. We're ready you, for it. Yeah, you've PR'd at conference several times. Brit PR'd at conference. You know, Emily's PR'd at conference. You know, I've had so many athletes PR at conference. Michelle Fabry, her first 13 foot jump, her first four meter jump was at conference. You know, and. And then her national record when she said it a few years ago was at ECACs, right. you know, championship time of the year. I mean, you definitely don't want to jump that in the beginning of the year and then you're, you're toast by the time you get to nationals. Right. It doesn't matter those first couple of meets. Right, right. Um, the other thing that I want to say about like approaches is like I feel like people don't understand too. It's like you have to be fast enough to go back to a long approach. Right, right. You know, and – you know, going back to talking about proficiency, so you have to be fast enough. You have to be proficient enough to go back to that long approach for it to be beneficial. Because right. I mean, otherwise, why not just do a five? Like you said, if you're if you're trying to push it to an eight, but you're not really fast enough to do an eight, you're really just doing a five. It's those other three steps are cosmetic. Right, right. And and the other thing too is like, 
Um, Joe Donahue, who uh, used to coach at Vertical Assault, he was a coach at Lafayette College, and he now is a coach at uh, Phillipsburg, uh, New Jersey. Um, great coach. He was telling me one time when he was at Lafayette, they had a Ukrainian vaulter. And he told them, he was like, listen, in the Ukraine, we don't consider a, a boy a pole vaulter unless they can push half a meter off of their grip. Now, for those of you that don't know what a half a meter is, roughly a foot and a half. So he's saying, if you can't push 18 inches off the top of your grip, you are not a pole vaulter in the Ukraine. So that's for men, right? That's the proficiency level for boys. Well, here's the thing I don't get. I've seen boys back at like an eight left approach, they're gripping 14.6 and they jump maybe 14. What that's a, not proficiency. Yeah, that's not proficiency. Clearly that kid <clears throat> doesn't understand pole vaulting. I mean, couldn't he grip... 13 from a four or five and maybe jump 14 then yeah. you know I, I mean I, I i had one of my guys call today and he you know his teammates didn't believe him he told me he's like yeah no when i jumped 14 i gripped 12 9 <laughs> they did not believe him and it's like that's proficiency to me that's proficiency you know and certainly do i want my kids to grip higher absolutely i mean your grip isn't low you know what i mean you're you've gripped 14 4 14 5 yeah. Around there, you know, but 14, it, six. I've got 14, 14, six. six. So, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I want people to grip high. I mean, Craig, Craig's gripped 59, 16, you know, um, I want people to grip as high as they can, but it's like, I still want everybody to be proficient, you know, and the higher you grip, the more you should push off the top of your grip. <laughs> well, it's like Mike know? Lorick said in the last podcast, you know, you're not holding people back. Yeah. yeah they yeah. literally are just not fast enough right. to grip those high, you know, grip grip those bites on the pole. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing that I think is huge. You know, I don't think enough people focus on proficiency. You know, to me, I've, I've always said, like a boy, one of my high school boys should be able to open at a bar that is 8-inch push. So, like, if you grip 12, you should be able to open at, open at 12. You grip 13, you should be able to open at 13. That should be easy. And you don't always see that in high school competition, you know. Um, Collegiately speaking, I mean, come, come on, eight inch push has to be easy for a guy, you know, and, and for a girl, zero, zero push, right? So if a girl like Lily, Lily grips 11, zero, zero push for her would be 10, 10, two, yeah, right? So 10 foot bar, she better be able to open that. And let me tell you, she's definitely going to be able to open at that looks stupid when she jumps at a 10 foot bungee she's way over so that that's something that should happen that's the proficiency that you're looking at and now with someone let me use lily as an example because she's capable of that zero inch push for her opening bar that's the kid that i'm looking at like hey maybe it's time for a seven she's getting fast let's go back to a seven let's go back to an eight let's get that grip up let's really start pushing numbers now it's time I can't look at my girl as barely gripping nine out of three and be like, let's go. Eight left approach. Let's push it. What's your PR? Seven? All right. Let's do it. That just sounds like a great way to get hurt. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's pointless. That, that kid's not going to get anything from that anyway, you know? So I just, you know, to me, it just seems silly. And, you know, again, since we're talking about training and, and periodization and stuff, what do you think about all those pole vault contraptions. You know, they got like harnesses, you strap them to your ankles and you pull on a stick and you get upside down. And I, I think they're, think they're all, all they all try to mimic the pole vault, you know, and mimic certain parts of the vault and try to make it better. But I, I really think there's no substitute for actually pole vaulting. And right. all those contraptions, like they're, they're not really going to help because if you're missing a part of your pole vault, if they're, let's say in the middle, you can't really pull through, you're not strong enough to pull through, well, doing a contraption that mimics that is not going to help you fix that. Right. You need to get in the weight room and get stronger so you can pull yourself up the right. pole. You know, that's that's what you need to do. It's not, some contraption is not magic. It's not going to fix it for you. Right. Like, I feel like people don't understand. Like, I, I've seen a lot of people do stuff where it's like they lay on a, like a scooter, you know, and they got a pole in their hands and the pole's against the wall and they're like, push against the wall to do like the top end of the right. vault and it's like that's great like first of all you have little 
gravitational force on you. It does not require a huge amount of strength to do that dr drill. If that person's not able to do a pull-up, I'd much rather see them do some pull-ups. Right. You're just like, kind of wasting your time with it. Like, right. And if you're strong enough to do it in the pole vault, well, why do you need to be doing it on the ground on a scooter if you can already do it in the pole vault? Right, right. So just there, pole vault more, and then you can do more high bar drills, or right. maybe you do weighted pull-ups. And, and it's just, again, it goes, it goes back to, like, training and what's going to be the most effective way to train. Like, to me, I, I, I can't imagine. Like, could you imagine watching one of the professional pole vaulters, like somebody's planning on going to Olympics or something, or world champs this summer? And they're like laying on a scooter and pushing their body off the wall. Dude, I can find a lot better stuff for somebody to do in, in a half an hour than push themselves off a scooter. Right. It just doesn't make sense. You know, get on the high bar, or, you know, do some pull-ups or, you know, push yourself yeah. in other ways. Go to, go to sleep, rest more. I don't know. Like, but, like honestly, at that point, it's like you might as well lay down and take a nap for 20 minutes, you know, and. And that's the thing, like, I really hope, and, you know, we've had this conversation, me and Billy, our sound guy, uh, we've had this conversation, you know, I just hope that through this podcast, we're putting out some ideas and people are taking something away from this and starting to look at their training in a more serious fashion, you know? I, I've kind of, like, compared it to a little bit, like, the UFC, you know? I mean, I, you know, obviously, I know we're not as big a podcast as something like the Joe Rogan experience, but, you know, I really feel like Joe Rogan brought the UFC to a new level because he had guests on and they would talk about their training and he would get the best people on to kind of, kind of show people the way. And that's what I've been trying to do. Whether it's Jim B. Miller, Roman Bacharnikov, Mike Lord, Jason Church, you, Andrew Flores, like we're talking about all these ideas that like, Hey, these are good ideas. These are experienced people. Like even someone like you, you've been through the trenches, you know, you were that freshman kid. What, would you jump freshman year of high school? Oh Jesus. Freshman year of high school? Nine feet. Nine feet. And by the end of high school, you jumped 14. And now you're a 15 nine guy. I mean, you're inches away from 16. You definitely can make division three nationals this year. You've been through the journey. You know, you know what it's like. And I, I hope people are hearing this from you. It's like, Hey, there's, you know what? That's great. There's a lot of very gifted athletes out there. And maybe I agree with some of their training. Maybe I disagree with some of their training. But there's a lot of, a lot of boys that graduate high school around 13 feet, 14 feet, and they want to know how to get better. You can explain how to get better. You well, know? yeah. I mean, like in high school, I was naturally gifted enough to hit mids that allowed me to jump 14. You know, I wouldn't say my technique was perfect, but yeah. And, you know, I had come to you in the club and, you know, I had worked with you a little bit and, you know, my technique was proficient, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what I gripped to jump 14, but Probably like you know, 13, 6, 13, 9. Right, I wasn't yeah, gripping nothing crazy, feet. but yeah, yeah. But I mean, the next step was really just getting stronger, getting faster. Right, because and even like to build the proficiency in your push. Because think about it, okay? Like, uh, let's say for argument's sake, you grip thirteen nine, so you pushed about a foot to jump fourteen. It's okay, but we're still not up to that. What that Ukrainian guy said, uh, right? A foot I'm, not, and a half. I'm not a pole vaulter yet. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that people didn't understand, I don't think, or don't understand, is you weren't going to be able to do better than that just by pole vaulting. Right. You no, needed no to do the lifting. You needed to do the training that pushed all those physical aspects in you that got you strong enough to be able to, one, put your body in better positions and move through the jump faster. That was the only way that was going to happen. I mean, if I didn't put you on a lifting program, we just did body weight circuits, maybe you'd be a 14.6, maybe 15-foot guy now. It would be hard. Maybe. It would be yeah. really hard. I yeah. wouldn't have made those jumps. I mean, do you remember even like your freshman year when we would jump from a three, what pole would you be on? Oh, man, 13.7s. I was on like mm, a 50, 55. Maybe, yeah. Like I was going to say 13.60, 65, and you probably gripped 11.6, 11.9. Maybe nine. not even 13.7s. Yeah. And now, look and, in your binders. Right, yeah. Binders. But now, you know, I know the, even the other day, you were gripping like 12.6, 12.9 on a 14.65, 70, you know, from a three. Huge difference. That wasn't going to happen by doing push-ups. Right. You know what I mean? And not to say we never do push-ups. Like, obviously, we have our point in the season where we're doing our GPP, our general preparation, you know, where we do push-ups, goblet squats, med ball throws, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you, you needed to increase your capacity levels, you know, and that, that just made, made a huge difference. And, you know, I just, I just hope people understand. I mean, there, there's so much more out there. 
You know, like I, I look at a lot of athletes and I look at sometimes their training and their technique and it's like, it's on both ends. Like I see technical stuff that could be better that people can jump higher. And then I see like training stuff that I'm like, oh, come on, man. You just, just got to push those numbers a little bit more. I mean, like you said, Brad Walker said it, man. He's like, dude, jump less, train more, make yourself a better athlete. And that, that makes a difference makes a huge difference that, that just people don't even understand. Especially for those guys who can't hit, you know, who aren't hitting crazy poles and they're not on crazy, getting crazy grips on their poles. Like, how do you get that? You really need to get stronger and faster and you need yeah. to be in the weight room. You know, if you're a guy yeah. who can't really grip, you know, 13, six, 14 feet, you know, you need to be hitting the weights. You need to be figuring out how to get faster and stronger. You know, there's, you're not going to jump anything crazy unless you can get your grip up. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Crazy stuff. Um, I don't know. It's just shocking because I, you know, and it, it was funny. Like I said, today I got a phone call and I was talking to an athlete at school. And it's just like when I hear some of that stuff that people do and things that, you know, they think is okay, it's, it's almost like it's almost laughable. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, even like, you know, we'll always get this, you know, um, for those of you that don't know, you know, really believe in the swing, really believe in a fast jump, um, very big follow of Roman Pachanikov in the 640 model. Um, I think, you know, you have 1.4 seconds from the moment you leave the ground to the moment that you clear a bar, and you've got to move through that jump as fast as possible. You're not going to, you know, get two, three, four foot push unless you're moving fast. And, you know, one of my kids was like, hey, you're, I got a comment from somebody at school, and they're like, uh, you're getting inverted too fast. <laughs> too fast. You're jumping too fast right now. Which, yeah, I, I think it's laughable because it's like, what do you want me to, like, cause let's say I stay down, right? A lot of people say stay down or drive or you gotta penetrate. So when do you want me to swing? Should I count in my head? Right. Like the jump is so fast. Like there's no way you're gonna delay, like. Can you imagine saying that to a 100 meter sprinter? Your yeah. first phase was too fast and you need to slow down. Yeah, like. What? No. Yeah. I, it's, it's so it's so crazy, and uh, I mean obviously Calvin will have you on again. Um, definitely lots to talk about, but it's it's definitely getting late. Um, thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed this podcast. A lot of information out there, and if you have any questions or you ever want to contact us, it's uh, apexvaulting at gmail dot com. Billy, good job. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>